Welcome to the One Up Project. Money is fuel that that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself and if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Hello everyone, kia ora and welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. Today I bring on Tammy Paper, Manager of Investor Capability with the Financial Markets Authority, also known as the FMA, and essentially the place that is responsible for the regulation of the financial market in New Zealand. So Tammy is going to help shed some light on how essentially we can manage our emotions when watching the value of our investments rise and fall. Uh, For some of us who haven't been investing as long, this can be a scary thing to look at. So Tammy, thank you so much for your time. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks for having me and thanks to your listeners for tuning in. Oh yeah, no worries. I I know that we're all very excited to hear from you. So I guess- no pressure. (laughs) Yeah, none at all. Um, (laughs) Uh, So the first thing I want to chat about is what have you seen in your role when it comes to the behavior of investors within the share market? Oh, well, thank you so much, Sarah. Well, I've been around for quite a few years in this space, but even if I'd been under a rock for my entire investing journey and I came out from under that rock in March 2020, I reckon I will have seen possibly the most interesting time of investing. Um, And for those still under rocks, March 2020 was obviously when COVID hit the headlines. um, And what we saw in the market around that time was we saw this period of market volatility. Now, unlike past periods of market volatility, what we saw happening at the same time, which was really exciting, was what I like to call the rise of the retail investor. So these were people that got into the market using the online platforms that we're aware of, and they started building their wealth. And what has been really exciting for this group is they've been able to see their investments grow steadily over the last two and a half years. During that same period of volatility, we had a number of KiwiSaver members who unfortunately changed their funds from more growth funds to more conservative funds and unfortunately locking in losses. So it was really a very exciting time just in terms of investor growth and just seeing how people and investors engage with the market. The retail investor is going to be the majority of us listening today and oh, a lot yes. of us sort of jumped into our investing journey back in March 2020. I was one of those people. Me and too. Our, <laughs> you too. Awesome. And so we, I've learned a lot in that time and how I've sort of seen the rise and fall of my investments has been an interesting mm. journey. And so does behavior change with increased volatility? And if so, in what way? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, behavior can change. Um, like you, I started my own personal, you know, building my own prof- uh, portfolio, not using perhaps managed, um, you know, a fund advisor. Um, also in March 2020, I got my own little portfolio and it watched it grow. Very exciting. But yes, what we do see is we can see a change in behavior. And this can be in sort of three ways because all we must we must identify all behavior as active so the first mm-hmm. is those that get into the market so they see the market as low they hop into the market then there are those that stay the course so they actively decide not to move or the apathy they don't move and then you get those that exit the market so yes during periods of volatility we definitely see more active behavior than we do in times of 
you know, calm times or times of just slow growth. Mm, And I guess just to really break it down for those listening, how would you describe what volatility is when it comes to the share market? If you've looked at your balance and your stomach has gone plop because you have less money than you had today, or you've looked at your balance and you've gone, yay, because you've got more money than you have today, that is the market working. Okay, so when you have a period of market volatility, mm. what tends to happen is that rise and fall, or let's look at the fall, tends to be sharp and it tends to be, can be it can either be quite long or quite short. But it's when the market starts going down in value, so your investments start going down in value um, and you start seeing those losses reflected in your, your balance. Now, what happened in March 2020 was we had that down curve, that mark, volatile market went down and then it wasn't down for very long. It started going up again. And I think that might give people a false sense around how volatility works, that it's a quick sharp and a quick rise. It doesn't necessarily work like that. It can be an extended loss or can be an extended rise. The big thing when you think of market volatility is you need to think of the market as a long-term thing. So yes, there will be short-term rises and short-term falls. But if you look at the market historically, so you're looking beyond 10 years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, though the market sort of jags, like little jaggers up and down, overall it goes up. So, you know, it's keeping that. So it's market volatility can be those periods of up and down. But if you look at it overall, the market does grow. With market volatility, it can make us feel a little oh. bit vulnerable, maybe bring out those gaps in our knowledge that we don't have. And so from your perspective, how would you say that investors can can be vulnerable, not necessarily in just how they feel, but in other ways that they're probably not fully aware of? Yes. Well, for me, I think the big thing when I think of investing um I always take a step back and when I think of behavior and and how you act in a volatile market, our behavior is really driven by things behind the scenes, our emotional state. And and I think one of the things that makes us very vulnerable um, in periods of market volatility is when we act, but we don't understand what's driving that action. And that's really where I like to think of when I start thinking of, you know, our behavior in market volatility. Um, So if we take a step back and we think, okay, I'm seeing the market going down, slight fear of panic, want to cash in investment. Before you cash an investment, it's it's important to have a think about why this is happening. And for me, it goes to about our fundamental relationship with money. You know, in the old days when we lived in a cave, we had a spear and we used the spear to defend ourselves, to get food, to chase whatever was in the cave out so that we could move into the cave. And this spear was fundamental for our existence. Now, if you take spear away, move forward to the year 2022, and you replace spear with money, you'll often see that the relationship we have with money is one that that is primal. It's that one of those things that we need to survive. And when we see our money going down, we can feel it on a very, very, very primal level as a potential threat to survival. And that triggers really powerful emotions in us. Now, it's important that this isn't all people, okay? But there is something very primal about if you're looking at your investments dropping that you go, oh my word, what's happening, what's happening? And over the years, I've sort of seen three major uh, behavioral drivers come up. And and Sarah, I'd be really keen to hear from you if any of these resonate. Um, I will share which ones resonate with me because they certainly do. Um, the first one that I've, I've seen um, over and over again and I've experienced is what we call herd mentality. Now, going back to, you know, living in a cave, uh, 
in those times, sticking with the herd was a really good thing because if the herd went left and you went right, there might have been a tiger that would jump out and eat you, and that was not really good for your survival. And this is a really ingrained thing, this need to be part of something, this need to follow. And, and if you are seeing people around you behaving in a certain way when their investments are going down, you get the feeling of, oh, my word, this is what everyone's doing. If my money is going to survive, I should be doing the same thing. Now, Sarah, I need to ask you, have you ever uttered the words, but everybody's doing it? Oh, 100% I've uttered those words. <laughs> words so many times <laughs> and the truth is the statement everybody is doing it is a really big statement because there's everybody doing it and then there's everybody in your echo echo chamber doing it mm. okay and this is the big thing with herd mentality is that we tend to limit what we're hearing to a group that we've created Okay, and that's why it's so important in investing to have such a diverse range of information sources and impartial information sources. So looking at, you know, if you've got a KiwiSaver, your KiwiSaver provider or, you know, get financial advisor, um, as well as obviously having those social sources that we turn to so often. But those social sources can actually serve just to reinforce our own thinking. Mm. So with herd mentality, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's, a very, that's a very big one. Um, so when you have this, yeah, but everybody's doing it moment, think about it. Is everyone really doing it? Or is everyone I'm listening to doing it? The next big one that I've seen come up over and over again is action bias. Now, a bias is the need to do something. So when we speak of action bias, it's that real fundamental need to act. Even if we don't know if acting is going to give us a better result. So, so what does that mean? You see your balance go down. You want to do something to curve it. You want to stop it. You want to make, so what do you do? You act. And you don't necessarily know whether that acting is going to be a good thing for you financially, but you desperately need to act. So what you can do is possibly get out of the market, move to a more conservative fund, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the problem is, is that that might not necessarily be the best course of action. Uh, so when we think of action bias and market volatility, I, I always say to people, not acting, making the conscious decision not to act is acting. So if you say, so for example, if you say, oh, my KiwiSaver balance is going down, I know that this is part of the market. I know markets go up and down. I've seen the graphs, et cetera. So I am actively going to stay the course. That is your need to act, act. That is your need to act actually happening. So I always think it's very important to frame that. And then the last one that, the last of the big three that I've just seen happen over and over again um, is loss aversion. We are hardwired to avoid pain. Survival, we don't really want to feel pain. And psychologists will tell us that we feel loss up to twice as much as we feel gain. If you've lost $100, Sarah, you know that losing $100 can sometimes feel a lot more painful than gaining $100. <laughs> it can really hurt. Um, and so what we will do is we will try to avoid feeling that sense of loss. And, and in market volatility, in order to what we might frame as stop the pain, we can we try and get out of the market, even if this is not necessarily a good thing long term. And loss aversion can prevent us from actually investing more in the future, cutting us out of potential growth in the future. Um, the other thing loss aversion do can make us hold on to bad investments far longer than we have, far longer than we should. 
So those are really the three big drivers around vulnerability, around our motor vulnerability um, that I think people aren't aware of when um, they are faced with market volatility. Totally, definitely not conscious of, and I can 100% relate to all three of those. Mm. I also think the interesting thing is how they all work in to one another. Like, you know, you want to stop the pain, so you feel like you need to do something straight away. So what am I doing? Okay, I'm looking at what everyone else is doing. They're doing that. And then you act and it's like all three of them impact you at the same time. Specifically, I can relate to action bias a lot because, you know, even when it comes to something like your normal spending, say that you're seeing everyone else buying all these new clothes, all these new things in their life and you feel like not good enough. So then you're like, okay, I need to act. I need to buy something now in order to fit that description of good enough and so you make yes. these decisions without thinking and it's the same when it comes to the share market as well you're like oh well this is happening to my portfolio or everyone else is doing this so if I'm gonna get to either where these other people are or stop the pain of the loss that I'm feeling I need to make a quick decision and I couldn't agree with you more that not acting is acting and even though sometimes with the share market I think you can feel this pressure to you have to get in quick but then that's kind of in contrast to the mindset of a long-term investor so it's like long-term investors end up having acting as if they're trading and they need to get in quick and at the right time which is so interesting and I think like you said not many people are aware of it and being conscious is probably one of the most important things when it comes to investing behavior and understanding that uh, and so what steps would you recommend taking to like avoid those kind of biases? Okay, well the first thing the first thing um I would say to avoid those biases is to acknowledge that you have them, acknowledge that you have these feelings and and the first and then the other thing is to start off and I have to do this in, in my in my sometimes in my day-to-day life is if you feel sort of you see the market going down and you feel the rise of these sort of primal emotions I must do something. Um while money can replace the spear it the market going down is not an immediate threat to your life okay unlike losing your spear unlike losing your spear you do have time and this is the big thing so the one of the big things you can do is when you acknowledge your emotions is the first thing if the market is roiling is don't panic stop stop you don't have to act immediately the tiger is not going to eat you you are safe in your house or in at your desk or at school or in the office or wherever you are you are physically safe gives you a chance just to breathe so i so that would be my first thing just addressing those emotive things in a moment of volatility but very important is how we address these physically and i think for me and um, I'm Sarah, I hope you feel the same way, is to have a plan. <laughs> it is very important to have a financial plan. And I know your listeners have much probably heard of this so many times. And they're just going, oh, my word, another one speaking about a plan. But here's the thing with a plan. A plan is a deliberate action that can address or will address these emotive back, this, this, this emotive um, going ons in the background. So, so what do I mean by having a plan? First questions first, Sarah, do you have a plan? Great question. I'd say I have a plan of sorts. <laughs> well, that's great. Someone a plan of sorts is a plan. <laughs> <laughs> a plan of sorts is a plan. I mean, you know, some people have very complex financial plans. Other people have them written on the back of a serviette. The point is you've got to start. Mm. Okay. Mm. So, so, so what does a good plan look like? Um, well, a good investing plan um, 
I think if you're going to be able to manage your periods of market volatility is to really understand what you're investing for. So you're putting this money away. Why are you putting this money away? What is the end goal? I mean, you're not just putting this money away for no particular reason. You've got a reason. And it's very important to know what that goal is. That is the first thing. That is what is on the top line of the back of my serviette is what am I saving this money for? What am I investing the money for? Once I know what that is for, the next thing your plan can unpack is what is your investing horizon? So how long are you investing for? Is this money you're going to need in the next two to five years, five to 10 years, 10 years plus? And your time horizon will then link to how much exposure to the volatile markets you can absorb. So the general rules of thumb around this is if you're going to need your money between the next one to five years, it's far better to be in more conservative funds. So those funds that have less exposure to, say, the share market and more exposure to, to cash and bonds. If you've got between five and 10 years, we have a more balanced approach that gives you a bit more exposure to, to volatile markets. Um, and then what we do is if you've got 10 years plus, then you would have more, you would most probably have more of a growth profile. Now, the more exposed to growth assets you are or volatile assets, and in this way, I'm speaking about shares specifically, not getting into crypto and crypto bros, um, the more exposure you have, obviously, the more you will feel it when the markets go up and down. But if you've got a long time in the market and you look at that curve going up, you do see that they do balance out and it does grow. So that would be the next thing your plan should have is what your investing horizon is. The third one, which is very important, is your plan should be sufficiently diversified. So what does that mean when I speak of diversification? If you have all your money in shares and the market goes down, you're going to hurt. It will hurt. So when we speak of diversification, we're looking at having money across a variety of um, asset classes. So you've got shares and bonds and, you know, property and cash and these different asset classes. Um, and having a properly diversified pro a portfolio will tell you when your when um, the investments do go up and down. So when there is volatility, a properly diversified pro portfolio will be able to weather those storms that you are comfortable with. So that's a very important thing. Um, the fourth is always to have what I call an emergency contact list. What is an emergency contact list? When you are nice, calm and collected, write down on your plan, what are the trusted sources you would turn to in the event of market volatility? I would say very important here is things like your KiwiSaver provider, things around, um, you know, are, are there financial sources you trust? Uh, you know, have, so, so when there is a moment and you can take it out, you can say, okay, this is where I can look. I can go to my KiwiSaver site. I can go to my share uh, share platform site. I can listen to, um, you know, podcast or, you know, you can have those. And it's very important to have a diverse range of information. And then obviously the last one with any plan is review it. It doesn't help if you do this plan once on the back of a serviette or on your Excel or wherever you're going to do it with a financial advisor. You need to review it. And, it, and, and I say annually is a good time. Once a year is a good time to really look at that plan and have a look at, you know, how you're going. Amazing. Okay. Well, I just really want to recap that for everyone. Um, and so mm, that was a lot of info. <laughs> yeah. It's so helpful as well. So we want to start off with why, what we're investing for, what our goals are, you know, what's the point of us investing. Then we're looking to what is our investing horizon slash volatility? How much of it can we take? What are we looking for in terms of volatility? The next thing is diversification, making sure we're well diversified across a range of asset classes. 
and then having our emergency contact list, which might involve someone like our KiwiSaver provider, and then looking at all of that annually. Yes. You sum it up so nicely. <laughs> Perfect. That's great. <laughs> Write that down, everyone. It's super concise, actually, and a real nice easy way to to put it control and security are really important elements for people when it comes to their money it ties into what Mm. you were saying around action bias it can almost encourage us to make these rush decisions so how would you say that we can turn this into a strength the need to control and the need to have security again go back to those very primal areas that i've spoken about but here is the first thing i want to share with everybody you cannot control the market and you cannot control for the market. So this is very, very important. Countries invade countries, pandemics happen, sanctions happen. All these things happen, and they are far bigger than far bigger than any of us. Um, so we cannot we cannot control the market. However, what we can do is we can have discipline in preparing to respond to the market. So I like to reframe control and security around what I would call investing discipline, because you can't control the market, but you can discipline yourself mm. um, to be able to respond to the market. So that's 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 sort of like where I would where I'd like to to frame it from. And, and when I speak of discipline, it, it's like with anything. If you're studying for a degree or you're training for a um, marathon, you can't just arrive at the end of the line and demand your medal if you haven't run it. And you can't run it if you haven't trained. It's the same thing. You can't pitch up at your graduation, demand your diploma if you've never attended university. So you have to go through those, you've got to be disciplined and go through the processes that get you to the end. So what does this look like in investing? Um, A couple of these things we have touched on already, but I think it's really important to go back and have a look. So five, we have what we call the five Ds of DIY investing. I have now dubbed them the five Ds of investing discipline. (laughs) The first one is always, whenever you take an investment, if you want to have a way of addressing market volatility in your mind, make sure that you always do your due diligence. What are you investing in? What does this investment look like? How exposed are you? Really understand what this investment is about. So that way, when the markets do go up and down, you've got enough understanding of what you've invested in to say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm in a real aggressive fund here. Yeah, the markets have gone down. Yeah, my investment will have gone down. Okay. Um, but the offset of that is if the mark, when the markets do turn up, I will, you know, potentially have far more chance of growth than say someone that is in a more conservative, has a more conservative approach. So that's the first one is do your due diligence. The second one we've spoken about, um, and that's diversify. Now, I just want to say around diversification. When we think of diversification, people think they have to have shares and they've got to have bonds and they've got to have this and they've got to have that. Yes. But here is a wonderful thing. Managed investment schemes such as KiwiSaver are pre-diversified. And that's what makes them such excellent investing choices. Um, If you look at your KiwiSaver, you will see that you have conservative KiwiSavers, balanced, growth, and aggressive. And these are pre, they are pre-mixed and managed by really, by managed by fund managers. And they 
they say what's on the label. So if it's a growth fund, you know that you're going to have more exposure to asset classes. But you also know at the back end, there is a fund manager who is doing all the heavy thinking for you. So when we speak of diversification, yes, have your own shares, you know, do these things. It's, it's very important. But know that the know that if you have a managed investment scheme like KiwiSaver, it's happening. It's happening. It's to make sure that you're then in the right fund. Um, the next D would be around drip feeding. And this is important. Uh, we speak of dollar cost averaging. So if you want to prepare for volatility, one of the good things to do is to constantly be contributing small amounts or, you know, the same amount or an amount into your investments over a long period of time. The reason for this is that sometimes your money will go in when the market is high and sometimes it will go in when the money your market is low. But what that will do is balance itself out and and, and you'll follow that, that upwards graph. So drip feed is, is a really important one. Um, the next one is going back to those information sources. When the markets do turn, if you've got your plan, if you've done your due diligence, if you've diversified and you've drip fed, um, and you've got those, and you've got those uh, those lists of resources. Um, if you are in doubt or you need further information, consult a professional financial advisor. Contact your KiwiSaver provider. Look what's happening on your um, online platform. Seek professional advice if you if you're ever in doubt. And then the fifth one around having that investing discipline when the markets start going up and down. And I've said it before. Don't panic. That's the first thing. Don't panic. Um, and, and I haven't spent a lot of time delving into these. They really are discussed more on the FMA website, fma.gov.nz. Um, but yeah, those for me are really, when, when we want to think of control and security, reframe it as discipline. And these are some of the things that um, you can have in place to build on that investing discipline. Mm, amazing. It's really important we understand our behavior when it comes to investing. Obviously, it, it's so important. And this mindset can affect us a lot. Do you see this mindset affecting people outside of investing? And if so, like, what are some examples of that? <laughs> oh man, wouldn't it be fabulous if, if, if this mindset was only, uh, and the need to, to, to address these emotions was only limited to investing. Um, alas, not. Uh, you know, we we are we're emotive we're emotive people, um, emotive beings, and and you just got to look since March twenty twenty at behaviours that we've seen. You know, people queuing for toilet paper. Um, in my own life, uh, my partner is an incredibly rational human. Um, he went to stand in the queue at the, at the supermarket um, and came home with a big bag of rice with two people. And I said to him, "And this, you know, it's rice for uh, this is really rice for the long haul." And he said to me, he said, you know, I stood there. He says, and I know we don't eat a lot of rice. He said, but I saw the shelves were emptying and I was worried that I wouldn't be able to get rice again. Even though I know I will be able to get rice again, the need to buy rice was so overwhelming. And that speaks to this real primal thing that even our, when our rational mind is saying, you know, no, stand back. Um that these emotions can be can be so overpowering. And I within myself saw, you know, when Omnicrom landed, I went to the pharmacy and uh, I needed to just buy some headache tablets. I usually buy sort of 30 ibuprofen and 30 um, aspirin. And I walked in there and I saw the I saw all these people buying pain medication. And within myself, I knew I'd never not been able to get pain medication, but I walked out there with a box of 80 ibuprofen and 100 aspirin. We are two people here. <laughs> But that overwhelming need to follow the herd, to have in case something happened, to act, 
these really primal things manifested themselves in a completely different situation outside of investing. And then, so having that plan, having that rational thought of, you know, when I got home, I saw, you know, we had enough pain medication to start off with and all of these things. Um, having those plans in place and, and understanding your emotions doesn't necessarily mean that you will you will always act. And I think, you know, you'll always act in a, in a, in a logical way. But I think by having those plans in place in any situation, understanding your emotional point of view, understanding what's happening you have a far better chance of responding in your best interest and not rushing out with 100 aspirin and five kilograms of rice. Mm, exactly. I love that so much. Um, really great personal example that I'm sure everyone can relate to. Um, what are your best tips for investing in a volatile market? Be deliberate in what you invest in. Be deliberate. Know what you're investing in and have a plan and make sure that your plan highlights that you're diversified, that you, um, what your contacts are, that you know what your event horizon is, that you, um, you know, that, and that you review the plan. So my big tips is be deliberate, have a plan, um, review your plan. And when the markets do move and they will move, don't panic, deep breaths, Tiger's not going to get you. You're safe. You have time to make a. You have time to make a deliberate and rational decision. Do you have any personal stories from your point of view around investing where you've done this, and maybe a bit about how you've implemented your plan in a time of volatility? So here's the thing. I'm human, like everybody else, and I've made a fair whack of bad investing decisions in my life. Okay, gotta own it. Gotta own it. <laughs> uh, one of the big ones I did was. Um, a few years ago, uh, I, I got a small inheritance, you know, nothing that's going to break the bank, but a small inheritance. And I saw this money in my bank account and um, I didn't have an investing plan at that point of view. So I got this money. I looked at it. I didn't really have anything to do with it. I didn't have anything, event horizon and really started my investing journey. I blew the money. <laughs> now, it's not to say that this was a great deal of money, but in the absence of having that plan, um, I got this money. I was so excited about it. I just spent it. If I'd had an investing plan and I'd got this windfall, if I had the plan that I have now, I would have been able to see exactly where I could have put that money to contribute to my wealth. I learned a very valuable lesson in that. And I like to think that I wouldn't make the same mistake again, but really between you and I and everybody who listens, it's still something every now and then I, I really get quite uh, over because mm -hmm. I think, man, if I'd done the right thing with this money, I could have, I would have probably been, you know, building a far better wealth portfolio than, than I am, than, you know, than I am now. Um, but it's a lesson learned and, and I've made up for it for by, you know, investing more in that. But yeah, that's an example of when my emotions really got the better of me in investing. So it's not necessarily in response to a volatile market per se, but it is an example of where emotions really got the best of me and I, um, you know, and, and, and I didn't act in my best interest. Uh, a more recent phenomena that's happened was in uh, January, you know, the beginning of this year, we saw markets, you know, start going up and down. Um, and on the back of the, uh, you know, KiwiSaver members, you know, there was in, in March 2020, the KiwiSaver members 
you know, moving to more conservative funds. I was nervous because of my own makeup that I am quite, I can be highly strong and I, I can be quite um, susceptible to things around, you know, market changes. Uh, and so when the um, when we started seeing that market volatility at the beginning of this year, I did haul out my plan and I did have a look at how much I was exposed to growth assets uh, in my overall plan, you know, just to give myself a sense that it's okay. Around the inheritance example, it's really relatable, you know, even if you haven't received any inheritance yourself, but just around lump sums of money and yes. how we decide what to do with that and whether yeah. it's a small lump sum or a big lump sum. Um, I think we can definitely relate to going through those stages of deciding what we're going to do with it and sometimes potentially regretting that. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Tammy, for your time today. I've really appreciated having you on. Uh, great insight and such practical takeaways for everyone. So thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you, Sarah. And thank you to everybody for tuning in. And I really enjoy your podcast. Um, I, I listen you. myself and I look forward to I look forward to hearing the one past me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there. Disclaimer time. So, The One Up Project is an educational platform providing information that is general in nature and has no intention of being financial advice. There may be opinions or an individual's experience within this resource that should not be considered as recommendations or personal advice. Everyone's financial situation is so different and you must use the information provided within the podcast at your own risk. Please complete your own due diligence before making any financial decisions based on the information within this resource. I'm not a qualified, registered or authorised financial advisor and if you require legal, financial or other expert advice, you should seek assistance from a professional advisor. Thanks guys.